Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. The Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Real people, real conversations. I am pumped to be part of Have the Conversation. Joining us this week is one half of the duo at Wellness Lately, Bridget Shannon. Wellness Lately is a coaching community that's sole purpose is to reclaim wellness from diet culture. After becoming a certified health coach, spending 10 years working in the health industry, and healing her own history with disordered eating and body image challenges, Bridget is passionate about helping women ditch dieting and embrace a version of wellness that actually feels good through intuitive eating and body liberation. Through their coaching programs, writing, events, and community, Bridget and her other co-founder, Dana, teach the principles of intuitive eating, healthy at every size, body neutrality, and holistic wellness. They also interview experts and thought leaders across their industry on their weekly podcast, Wellness Lately, where they explore the incredible work being done to make wellness more accessible and empowering for everyone. Just a reminder that as you listen to our conversation with Bridget, please keep in mind that this podcast is strictly for information and educational use only, and it's never intended to diagnose, treat, or provide medical advice of any sort. We do occasionally discuss sensitive content in subject matter, and we'll always do our best to let you know what to expect before listening. We had such a good time connecting, laughing, and learning with Bridget, and we have a feeling you will too. After listening, head over to htcpod.com for even more information, clips from the show, and ways to connect with Bridget. How's your sleep lately? As a trainer, the subject of sleep is often a main topic of discussion. Nobody sleeps perfectly every night, but I have to tell you, I've never slept better than I have since I've discovered the Chili Pad. Chili Pad is a mattress pad that uses cooling technology to keep your bed at exactly the temperature you want all night long. You can set it as low as 55 degrees, like my furnace of a fiance does, or take it all the way up to 95 if you have no problem staying cold on your own. Our bodies need a dark and cool atmosphere to get the most out of our sleep, and the Chili Pad has been one of my favorite sleep hacks to do just that. Go to ChiliPad.com to learn more about the Chili Pad and its upgrade, the Uller. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-A-D.com. They even offer a new Chili weighted blanket to keep you calm and cool all night long. If you like what you see, use the code HAVETHECONVO for a special discount at checkout. That's all one word, HAVETHECONVO, for discounts off your new Chili Pad sleep tight. Why don't you start out by telling the HTC community what Wellness Lately is? Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. I am excited to be here. We are all about reclaiming wellness from diet culture. So we help women heal their relationship with food and their bodies and end that really, um, really painful diet mentality that keeps, and I've struggled this with this myself, it really keeps you stuck in this restrict binge cycle leads to a lot of challenges with disordered eating and negative body image. So we help you put that struggle behind you and really free up the mind space and energy and time and resources that this challenge takes up for a lot of people and help you focus on better things. Really. We have a lot more better things to think about than changing our body and shrinking ourselves. We believe. Yeah. Preach that. Yeah. Right. I know. I'm like, that's the <laughs> Lord's work right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> think oh, so. Good. so I know Dana couldn't be here, but how did you two come together? Like for this cause essentially? Yeah, we used to work together. So we worked for a health coaching company and really bonded, I think over, um, needing a creative outlet from that, (laughs) but also a history of struggling with food. And we both really, I think doubled down on dieting by becoming health coaches to begin with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, you know, what better way to, you know, excel at dieting, then talk about weight loss day in and day out. Right. So we really, um, kind of bonded over that, but also saw in the, in the inner workings of the wellness industry, I think a lot of, uh, really shady shit for lack of a better term. There was really a lot of toxic, I don't know, behavior. Everyone was on a juice cleanse every other week. It felt like just a lot of wellness is disguised uh, within the diet industry. And so we started kind of paying attention to how that impacted people. And, you know, in our own coaching practices, like how 
this sort of rigid diet mentality was affecting people's ability to really make peace with food and to actually feel better physically and mentally. So we started a blog and just writing about all of this and then uh, really developed our coaching practice from there. So here we are, uh, gosh, probably six, I think six years later or so something like that. <laughs> We're still working together and uh, yeah, it's been really fun. It's fun to work with one of your good friends as well. We yeah, know it we as, you, as you two understand. Yeah. It's great. It really it doesn't feel like work, right? right? If you're enjoying it so much. Yes. Where do you think this whole obsession with diet culture and beauty and prioritizing your diet came from? Well, I think we have a diet culture that is rooted in really, uh, in, in really unrealistic beauty standards, right? I think that there's a lot of pressure, especially on women. And that's, that's a generalization, but we work primarily with women in our practice. And I think that this is an issue that really affects a lot of women or female identifying people because we have this really deeply ingrained desire to be attractive. And that, that for a lot of women, you know, before us, that was a lifeline, right. To be approved of and to be uh, desirable was, you know, our, a woman's worth was so rooted in that need. So I think that it really stems from this sort of Eurocentric beauty standard. And then of course we have to look at the money behind it, right? Like we have a 70 plus billion, billion dollar industry that is really, is that how much it is? Yeah. $70 billion. And that's just, right. It's crazy. And that's just the diet industry, right? We're not even talking about beauty industry, you know, the entire wellness industry. So this is just the diet industry, which is really capitalizing on this desire to lose weight. Right. And we, we have this belief within the diet culture that we, that we, most of us exist in, which is thin equals good, thin equals healthy, thin equals beautiful, thin equals, you know, morally respectable. Right. So it's this, Mm -hmm. this constant pressure to be thin and the diet industry has really picked up on that. And, you know, we have the overt diets, like the Weight Watchers or the Atkins or, you know, the, the key, like these sort of, I guess, traditional diets. Right. And then that has sort of morphed into the wellness, wellness industry, which is a lot of, you know, paleo, keto, these quote unquote lifestyles, which are still diets. If you, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you really dig into it, right. Yeah. But it's still, um, still this intentional pursuit of weight loss. That is really what this industry is capitalizing on. And what was the breaking point for you? Like you said, you struggled with dieting and stuff yourself. Like what's your story that made you realize I need to do something different. I need mm-hmm. a change. Yeah. I grew up in a, in a household that was really weight centric, right? Really quote unquote health conscious. And, uh, so it was this sort of a battle with food started from a really young age, right? My house, there was no sugar allowed, no quote unquote junk food. It was very much, um, food was controlled in that way. And so my own history with dieting started pretty young. I remember my first diet was I think 12 years old after going to the doctor's office and being told my BMI was too high. Right. So from, from a pretty young age struggled with my body and that was really the catalyst for dieting throughout, you know, for the next couple of decades really. And then I got to a point where I actually got pretty sick. I got Lyme disease and it was a pretty, oh, wow. pretty brutal battle <laughs> with, uh, with Lyme. And overnight I gained a lot of weight. I was having hormonal issues. I was, you know, having a lot of anxiety that I never had before. And it was, um, it was a pretty, <laughs> pretty terrible time, but it really forced me to change the way that I related to my body, right. Instead of beating myself up all the time or, you know, stressing about how I looked. I really had to learn how to treat my body in a different way and actually learn how to take care of myself without these crazy rigid food rules. So it was a a process. That's hard work. (laughs) It was definitely hard. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like a, I mean, in a roundabout way, kind of a gift because it had you prioritize your health Mm -hmm. over just your appearance. Yes. And that's hard to make that switch. Yes, absolutely. It was hard. It was, and it was a really, it was a mindset shift for me because it was this putting the focus more on how I was taking care of myself and how I was treating myself 
and, you know, I had to really develop the self-compassion piece, which before it was all about how I looked and my health was sort of rooted in my appearance and my body size. So that was a big shift for me and going from the the rigid dieting to intuitive eating, which, you know, we now help women with is, uh, is a really big challenge. If you are coming from a place of food rules and coming from a place of, you know, how could I possibly eat without dieting? If I don't diet, I'm just going to eat everything in sight. You're going to explode. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So that was the shift I went through and, um, yeah. And, you know, there were some other things I, I moved out of New York city where I was living. I left a pretty tough relationship and started a new, career path. So there was a lot of kind of culminating in, in terms of what was happening in my life. And so instead of putting all my energy and time and focus into my appearance, it was like, well, what else do I want to do with my life? What do I, what's actually going to make me happy? Cause this isn't working, right? This constant yeah. focus on what I look like and waiting on the weight in order for everything in my life to fall into place wasn't working. So it was about kind of shifting my focus in that way too. What allowed you to make some of those shifts? Were you reading books? For who were you like following? Like who are the people that really helped you rise out of that? Yeah. So the first person that comes to mind is a, the doctor I worked with, honestly, who is pretty, pretty um, influential in my thinking. And at, you know, the first thing she said to me was, "What if it's not the weight that's the problem? What if it was?" instead a shift in your mindset and treating yourself differently? Like what if you started being kind to yourself and sort of, uh, instead of constantly, you know, berating yourself. And that was a big shift for me as part of the whole lime lime saga. So that that's the first person that comes to mind, but also books for sure. I read intuitive eating by Evelyn Tribbley and Elise Thresh, who uh, are the dietitians that, that really started this intuitive eating movement and have sort of outlined the official framework. And that's the, the framework we use in our coaching practice, but that was a big turning point for me in terms of my relationship with food. Yeah. Yeah. For you were sure. able to work that program for sure where it made yes. sense. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's tough to like, think about getting out of the diet mentality in terms of a program, right? It's not a linear process in, in terms Everybody of wants the, the answer in the method. Yeah. Yes. Everybody wants <laughs> yes. the answer in the method. Yeah. Right. Myself included a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, this is something that comes up a lot with our clients because they just want the checklist, right? Tell me what to do and then I'll get to the end of it and everything will be great, right? But unfortunately with food, it's just not a linear process. It's something that you have to kind of untangle the the web and start to, and it's, it's sort of like a couple steps forward and one step back. And it's a process of healing, which never punch and a lot of tears. (laughs) Yes. A lot of tears. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. A lot of people are so stuck on focusing on the how and not even addressing the why. Mm -hmm. So they're just doing points A, B, and C, and then trying to, you know, will it through for the next few weeks and then they fall off. And it's just that yo-yo up and down. Um, I do personal training and a lot of my clients, I see this too. It's like very much a forceful behavior. Mm-hmm. Like they're just, I, I can't have that cookie or, you know, it's just, they're just constantly like oppressing themselves mm-hmm. and that only lasts so long. You know, it's just like the kids who had super, super strict parents growing up. Like they go to college and they just go freaking buck right. wild because you know, they're free. Yes. And that's what I think the main issue is, is people, they're just forcing, forcing, forcing. And then, then they're just running on fumes and then they, they break and they break the diet. And then there's the guilt from breaking the diet. And then they feel motivated again to go, you know, balls to the wall. And then it's just over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're not addressing that. Why do I feel this need? Why do I feel like I can't have this cookie instead of like, I deserve to be healthy. So I don't want the cookie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or I do. And I deserve the cookie today, but it's not going to ruin, it's not going to like ruin everything and throw me off completely. You know? Absolutely. I mean, that cycle that you're kind of describing is what really prompts a lot of our clients to eventually get help because they're just tired of it every single week, every single Monday starting over, right? You're good quote unquote for a few days. You get sick of your own shit. Yes. (laughs) And by the weekend, yeah. Like by the weekend you're going nuts and eating everything inside 
sight because you are not, you know, we really can only fight biology for so long, right? You eventually willpower is a finite resource. It's going to run out, right? So we have to instead, when we allow everything and we make peace with food, then we can get to a point where we are making choices based on how we want to feel and what supports our health. And, you know, it's not this sort of battle where you're constantly restricting, 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 and white knuckling it to the point where eventually the floodgates come down and you just are going nuts exactly like you're describing. And yeah, I think you brought up a really good uh, important point, which is the intention, the why, right? Because we have so many clients who, really start to struggle. Things are great at first, eat everything you want, right? Like start Mm -hmm. to like, have a great time, eat things that you have been restricting forever. And it's all fun and games until you start to feel like, Oh, like not that great physically, but also like, there was a reason why mom and dad didn't want us to eat this all the time or whatever, you know, yes, exactly. And, you know, we have the the potential weight gain there, which for a lot of women is the underlying challenge, the body image work, right? So we have to come back to the intention. Why am I doing this? Why am I trying to heal my relationship with food? Oh, right. Because what I was doing before wasn't working and I was stuck in this constant Mm -hmm. cycle. So we have to constantly come back to that because it is a process and it, it can get really difficult, but once you're kind of through it and once you, uh, go through that process of making peace with food. It's so worth it in the end. It's just uh, have to keep coming back to that intention throughout the, throughout the process. Always. And I found too, like a lot of the problem is it's an awareness problem. Like the awareness stops at the taste buds. Like I want this cause it's going to taste amazing, but people don't think when they're making that decision, like, okay, like yeah, it's 10 o'clock and I want pizza, but then in two hours, like maybe I'll have acid reflux and then I'm going to sleep like crap. And then I'm going to feel guilty and feel like crap the next day because I didn't sleep well. And so they don't think of the big picture. And then you feel like the shame of, oh, I'm working against my goals. And there's just that emotional, you know, level as well. And that's the actual decision they're making when they're choosing this. But in the moment, they don't think of all of those things that take over yeah Yeah, it's just like they're you know you're shoveling food into your face and you're not even enjoying it you're thinking of the next bite or the next thing um you're not even present in that right or you're you're disassociating from the eating experience because it then if you let yourself really kind of come to terms with what you're doing then we feel that shame and guilt come up too so um yeah the awareness is so key and that's that's what we work on right at the start is building what we call interceptive awareness, because if, unless we can get in touch with how something makes us feel and how, how satisfying it is, or, you know, how it physically feels, then we can't ever get to that place of getting in touch with our intuitive cues and our hunger and fullness cues. So the awareness Mm. is, is huge. And sometimes at first that feels uncomfortable. And sometimes you're going to be eating a little bit more than you usually do because for so long you've restricted, but if you can go through that process, you will get to a point where you can get in touch with those cues. It just is all about building awareness at first and, and really, you know, tuning into what feels good and what tastes good too, because what we would love to see is, you know, you actually enjoying what you're eating and having a really wonderful eating experience and actually tuning into how it makes you feel versus like you were describing restricting that experience. And then, you know, waiting until, again, the willpower runs out and just going nuts and not even enjoying it. And then, you know, feeling that shame and that guilt and which is just going to cause that cycle to start over again and to start restricting again, because that shame is, is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. How do you help people find their why? Well, we, the very first thing that we do is a journaling exercise. We are big fans of the journal around here. And, you know, it sometimes can be uncomfortable for people who don't normally do that, but we really just say, you know, there's no right way to do this. Just get in touch with how you're feeling and that intuitive guidance and just write whatever comes to mind. And what we do is an exercise called the diet history exercise. So we look at what have you done in the past? Where has dieting got you, right? Like how has that been working for you? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. here now, yeah. Yeah. 
seeking help. Exactly. Because the reality is a lot of us look back on dieting with rose colored glasses, right? We like to think that there was a a really awesome benefit or it got us somewhere. But if you're struggling with food, most of us, uh, it never really worked in the long run, right? So we get really clear and get honest about how that has been helpful or how it has not been helpful and what you really want. You know, there is a sort of choice here. You could keep dieting. You could stay in this really restrictive place with food, but what do you want to do? You know, do you want to spend the rest of your life fighting food or missing out on social events because you are nervous about the food or, you know, avoiding dating or starting a new career or whatever else in your life until you get to a a body that you think is acceptable. So we, Mm -hmm. we just have our clients get really honest about their why and, you know, start to really, uh, put the pieces together. And we don't, you don't have to just drop this desire for weight loss altogether. That would be unrealistic for a lot of people, but we say, you know, put it on the back burner for now, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. when we keep the focus on weight loss at the forefront, we're always going to be in this really restrictive place. Never enough. Yeah. Yeah. So we just say, you know what, we get it makes sense given the culture that we live in, but let's just kind of put it back here for now. Let it sit in the back seat, but it's not driving anymore. It's not telling us where to go. And, uh, and from that place we can start to work with, okay, here's how we move forward given your intention and, and why you're here. And it's so important because literally all of the major experiences are so centered around food or food is a part of it. Yes. And so you have to get a hold of this like, yeah. so that you can experience life and, and I, I, truly like you, it, it affects everything. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to eat, right. It's, it's something that we can't avoid. So it might as well be enjoyable and not taking up so much mind space, you know, for a lot of women, this is taking up an enormous amount of brain power and their energy and time. And that's sort of the, the bigger low key mission from our company is like, okay, if think about if women were not spending so much time and energy and mind space on this challenge, what would our world look like? Right. What could we do collectively? How could we shift things? And oh, that gets me excited. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, like from my own experience, I struggled with eating for over half my life. Um, It started at around 12, 13. I had a coach that told me if you, I I did swimming and he said, if if you lost five pounds, you could be faster. And that was the first time I realized like, oh, I can control my weight. Mm -hmm. So my mom helped me. We did it healthy. Um, I lost five pounds and I, I told him and he just says, okay, lose five more. And after that, that was just like something in my mind that was just like, you're, you got to keep trying to get, you know, keep going down, keep trying to get lower. Like you're never at a good enough weight. That was like kind of what I, that's not what he said, but that's how I internalized it. And so I unexpectedly, like it did, it took up hours of my mind space. Like it was, it was all I thought about, like in, in an anxiety kind of way, like, oh God, what am I going to do for lunch? I need to make sure I can go to this place or, you know, a lot of things were off limits for me, but I actually found my why um, unexpectedly when Cal and I read a book called indistractable. And it was, it's like the sneakiest self-help book you ever read because it taught me about rumination and how like when you think a negative thought, you can either stop it in its tracks and think something different, or you can ruminate on it and go down this kind of spiral. Mm -hmm. And I realized every time that I was binging, I was ruminating. I was, you know, I had those shameful, guilty thoughts. And it took me realizing that to kind of break that, that cycle. But when I broke the cycle, then I had a ton of mental space and it actually was super uncomfortable for me because I had to face what I wasn't dealing with. I had to face some, you know, unfulfillness in my life that I had all this free time and and free space to think about. And, and it almost made me want to revert back. Like I had a long time of, of going back to it because it it was comfortable for me. Um, how do you help women deal with that? Yeah. Well, you are spot on that, uh, this sort of mechanism of control that dieting provides for many people is really powerful, right? And it's, it can be a really useful coping mechanism for a lot of things. And when we give that up, when we don't have that anymore, there's often this void of like, 
well, what do I do now? And how do I spend my time and how, what's my sort of method for control or method for coping with emotions too. So, and it's also really scary to think that, you know, maybe there's that we are unfulfilled in some way. And that's like big, deep, uncomfortable stuff to think about. Super uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we really work through the emotional piece of it and not only coping mechanisms for handling uncomfortable emotions, but also, okay, what do I want to do with this mind space? Like what excites me and what is, what are my values, right? Because if I no longer have dieting as a distraction in my life or as a, an achievement oriented type thing, then what do I want to do? What excites me? What lights me up? How do I want to spend my time? Um, and also how am I, how am I going to deal with some uncomfortable emotions as they come up? And what's my coping mechanism for when stress comes up? If you know, I'm no longer binging because I have healed this relationship with food. We find emotional eating is really not a thing for people who don't struggle with dieting because it's not, it's not a coping mechanism because dieters who are really restricting all of a sudden, when you have an emotional situation or a negative emotion of some sort, that's almost like an opportunity to right. binge or to eat. Right? Self-sabotage. You can yes. always find, yeah, a reason. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So when we don't have that need to fill the void or to face uncomfortable emotions with food, what do we do? Right. So yeah, we work with people. That's a lot people. of time freed up for mm -hmm. a lot of us. It really is a ton of time. Yeah. So that's actually the whole third portion of our program is all about, okay, how do I want to spend this time? Like, what do I want to focus on and what actually fulfills me so that I'm not turning back to dieting in order to fill that void, or I'm not trying to just put all my energy into changing my appearance or like you were describing, you know, being better by losing weight, right? What do I want to actually do with that time? And that can be something very new for a lot of people, right? It's something that we don't really explore much. So it can be exciting, but also kind of uncomfortable because those are some, some big things to think about for sure. Yeah. yeah. But they need to be dealt with yes. at some point. So you can either keep burying it literally with food <laughs> and prioritizing that to, so your mind can't go there or you can face it and move forward. And, and honestly, like, being a trainer, especially like I felt almost like a fraud, you know, because I'm telling sure. these people to do all these things to better their health. Meanwhile, I have this like dirty little secret. Yes. Um, and so there was that layer too. But then when I overcame that, I feel so much more productive and so much more fulfilled and I'm healthier on top of it, but that's just a byproduct, yep. you know? And it's so funny because I spent all this time obsessing, trying to get to this this body and this weight that I wanted and I never got there, you know, but now that that's not my priority or my focus, like I'm, I'm healthier than I've ever been. Yeah. And that's just, you know, because I've changed my mindset and, and changed my time and changed what I'm thinking about. Absolutely. And it's so funny because it's, it's not what I was focusing on. Right. Which is crazy. It is. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive because it's, we just get sold this idea throughout our whole lives that we need to control food in order to be healthy and that we need to be healthy in order to be happy and successful. We need to look a certain way in order to be both of those things too. So to sort of challenge that notion and start to just say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to listen to these food rules anymore it can feel really kind of sticky, but once you kind of work through it, you absolutely can feel that sense of freedom that comes from being in touch with your body's cues and the mind space is huge, right? We've had women who go on to different careers because they realize they were unfulfilled in their career wow. or, you know, who get involved with politics because they, that's something they always wanted to do, but they never really had the space for it. Or, mm -hmm. you know, just so many things that we don't even really get a chance to think about, or we don't even put any energy to because we're so caught up in this, this struggle, even little things from, you know, planning meals for the week that have to adhere to a plan of some sort, right? Like even just that every day is, you know, an extra Exhausting. hour of time, right? So there's so many ways that it frees up our, our resources. And it's, it's really powerful to, to be able to think about what else could I do with that time or money or energy for sure. Yeah. It's a fine line too, though, to try to 
find things that are healthy options and not fall down like the rabbit hole of yeah. like paleo or a keto and think that this is the only way that you can ob- obtain health. Yes. That, that's something I struggle with. My food situation is very different. I was, I learned to hide food very early. Like that wasn't necessarily good, but you could eat it in private, but nobody could know. Mm, yeah. So it really messed me up in that sense of when can I eat? When can I, you know, can people know, should people know, like, yeah. what am I supposed to have this only people should know that I eat so healthy, you know, it kind of like hit me in that. So when you go looking for options and someone in my situation, it's hard to not say, okay, well, this is the new trendy thing. Sure. How do you help people like me? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a really good question because there is a, a benefit to understanding nutrition, right? And Absolutely. there is a benefit to understanding like how things impact our health. And that nutrition, we, we refer to it as the nutrition informant who is, you know, saying, well, this is good for you. And this is bad for you. Quote unquote, that can potentially be an ally for us down the line, right? It can potentially be. I love that y'all talked about that in one of your episodes. It was so funny about how it's the hungover intern writing the blog post or something (laughs) like that. I was cracking up. I was like, that's exactly it. Yes. That was me. No, it's good. That was me sitting in the office. Like, okay, what am I going to write about? for this blog post I need to get up today. Here's the topic. Awesome nutrition. Yeah. So that, that can be helpful from a, (laughs) a reputable, credible (laughs) source, right? (laughs) Right. Um, Not, I wouldn't recommend, you know, your hungover intern, but that can be useful when we are in a place where we're open to that information and it's not confusing or overwhelming or conflicting with that desire to make peace with food, right? So it can be helpful to understand nutrition. And we do touch on that in our program, but it comes last because if it were to come any earlier, yeah, it would, it would really contradict this idea of allowing all foods at first so that our body can trust that we know what's best. And okay everything is allowed. Nothing is restricted. So what do I actually want and what do I feel like and what's going to support how I want to feel? So once we make peace with food, then we can say, Oh, I can learn about nutrition. If that's interesting to me, I can learn what feels best for my body, which is a really important piece too, right? Because one thing might feel great for someone and then awful for someone else. Right. And that's, that's kind of the, the tricky part about some of the food trends is something like gluten-free might be great for someone with an allergy or sensitivity for gluten, but for someone else, maybe they feel great eating gluten and it's not a problem, but they're restricting it because they think they should, or because they want to lose weight. Right. So, and meanwhile, they're restricting all week and then eating all the bread over the weekend. Right. So Mm -hmm. we can use that nutrition information. It can be helpful, but first we want to go through the phase of making peace with food and really challenging the food rules. Yeah. And like you were describing, looking at our food behaviors, right? So when I am noticing myself eating in secret, or if I am hiding food, right? Like, where's that coming from? What's the root behavior there? And why am I doing that? Right. Yeah. That was big in my acceptance. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about that kind of like broke the chain for you that that's what it was for me, that root work of like, where did I learn this? What, why, why is it still, why am I even acting this way? Cause I, this isn't what I want to be doing. So why am I doing it? And it's just that Mm -hmm. habitual. Yes. A lot of it is habitual eating. Yeah. Yeah, And a lot of it stems from childhood, right? If you were in a, in a home where either there was real true food scarcity due to poverty, or there was food scarcity due to, you know, rules around what you can or cannot eat or what's acceptable. We have to look at what are the rules that I'm still following and how is it impacting me? And, you know, can I start to challenge that a little bit and start to say all food is loud anytime, whether I'm alone or in public, right. And start to really notice the individual rules that we give ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was very unclear for me growing up. So as an adult, when I was trying to say, I want to feel good, I want to do all these things, where do I go? Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was very, I think that's why I, I, I like the way that your program's laid out because it does, it goes in those sequences and then you're able to find the nutrition and the things that work for you. I think that that's Good job. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Well, you're definitely not alone in that either. I mean, we see it all the time as these rules that show up from our childhood and you just look at our culture, right? And look at the food rules. A lot of us, you know, 
our parents didn't know any different than the diet culture they were raised in. Absolutely. Yeah. So it just sort of uh, carries down. And one of our goals is to break that generational transaction (laughs) when it comes to food. Yeah. I think too, like a problematic message is you can either be healthy or you can enjoy your life. You can't have both, but who's to say that enjoying just means eating whatever you want, whenever you want to like, I think you can enjoy your life if you feel good and you're not carrying 50 extra pounds, you know, and your blood pressure isn't high, like then you can really enjoy your life and you're not controlled by, you know, restricting your food and all that too. Mm -hmm. People just kind of dwindle that down into, okay, well, if I choose to be healthy, then I can't have any of this stuff that I love. Um, it's, it's not marketing, man. Mm -hmm. Like that's right. Well, we have to look at the mental health piece of it too, right? Like how, how much is the battle with food impacting our mental health and our emotional health and sure, maybe dieting for doing a short-term diet, you might feel great right after like, there's no glossing over that. Right. But we have to look at the long term. How is it impacting us, and how is it uh, impacting our mental health to constantly be thinking about food and restricting? And we also have this this idea that enjoying our life has to happen in a certain body size, right? And we have this this cultural narrative that the smaller we are, the better our life is going to be. The healthier we are too. I think that's yes. a big misunderstanding too. Absolutely, small doesn't necessarily mean healthy. Correct, and that is oftentimes a message. It's really coming from a place of privilege, right? Like when we look at, you know, the, the actual things that impact our health are things like where you live and your environment and your access to healthcare and your, your income. And those things are all kind of glossed over when we talk about health and especially in the wellness industry. And instead we're talking about, you know, kale and lycra (laughs) and crystals. And it's like, well, guess what actually matters when it comes to our health, you know? So so, how do you feel about you? Yeah. That's what it comes back down to. Right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Can you explain to our listeners what intuitive eating is and kind of your philosophy on how you get from point A, like a chronic yo-yo dieting to be able to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So intuitive eating, the sort of capitalized version is a framework that, uh, like I mentioned, the two dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch coined this, this term and framework, and they have a wonderful book called intuitive eating. If you want to kind of dig into the the framework itself, but they actually refer to it. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's an awesome book changed my life. And it's again, the practice that our, our practice really revolves around this framework, but they actually refer to it as a framework of self-care through eating, which I love because it is a form of taking care of yourself. Uh, fuel. Food. Yeah. And so the process itself, there are 10 principles and they're kind of guideposts. They're not hard and fast rules, but they're sort of guideposts along this journey with food. And the very first step is to reject this diet mentality. So to look at all of the ways that you are measuring your food or measuring your body or all of the dieters tools that you're using, things like the scale or a Fitbit or, you know, an app to count calories. Like what are all of the, all of the above? Yes. Yes. All of the ways you're monitoring yourself. (laughs) I mean, our, most of our culture is, uh, in doing some form of this. Right. So, um, and it's, it's not meant to be sort of a, a punitive thing. It's just looking at how it's impacting you, right? How is the diet mentality affecting you? And, committing to a different way of doing things. If you want to make peace with food and and heal the relationship with food in your body, then, you know, there's, there's a different way. There's a better way if this struggle is taking up a lot of mind space for you. So, so these 10 principles kind of work in tandem. And what, what we do is build this interceptive awareness that I was that I mentioned earlier that helps to really uh, helps you get in touch with your intuitive cues. So your own body's cues, this means that no one else on the internet or anywhere can tell you how to eat in a way that works best for your body. It's about tuning into that intuitive guidance that we all have. It's just been so stuffed down by diet culture and, you know, experts telling us how to eat. And that is often these big weight loss companies, right? So it's all about sort of tuning into that awareness and removing any barriers to, to that awareness as well. And, uh, 
there's a bunch of things that go into this. It's, it's a windy journey, but at the end of the day, you get to a place where food is just not that big of a deal anymore. It's not something that is causing a lot of pain and you can just eat in a way that feels good and, you know, doesn't cause any stress or cause you to be in this constant restrict binge cycle. And it enhances uh, your life, right? Like very, very much so. Yeah. And it's just like food is just a part of your life. And it's just something that is supports you and is, you know, something that feels good. It's not the the sort of center of your struggle with yourself or your your body. Mm -hmm. Do you see a place at all for those kind of tracking tools like the Fitbits or the calorie counting apps or anything like that? Is there a place for that? It totally depends on the individual usually. I mean, I think if you are doing something like training for something or, you know, physically like running a marathon, for example, or something like that, right. Where it might be helpful to, to help you with a goal like that. What we look at is how much is impacting you and how you're using it. So if you are, you know, every single day loading your calories into an app and it's driving you crazy, if you're not meeting your calorie goals or something, right. Like looking at is this actually helpful or is it hurting you? Is it at all helpful, right? Like how is it serving you? And if it's not, why are you still doing it? How's it actually impacting your relationship with food? Because oftentimes it just ends up being something that can really impede with our ability to tune into that intuitive wisdom. So, you know, if you are eating something that you're enjoying and feels good, but you know, you go over the calorie limit, that's going to really affect you. Whereas without that Mm -hmm. sort of tracking might be better off. Yeah. That's kind of my struggle with my job is figuring out, is this tracking these things going to bring awareness to this person Mm -hmm. or is it going to derail them because they feel like they have to hit these goals? Yeah. And I, I think that's just a personal, like no one can answer that except for, for the individual, right? Because maybe it is helpful. Maybe it's helpful to bring some awareness to how much someone is moving every day. Right. And if they do have a goal to move more, which we know is good for our health, then, you know, that might be helpful. But what we see in our practice is this sort of like almost this rigid need to close the rings or whatever, you know, the thing is, whereas that might impede your ability to listen to your body. If your body's saying, I really need to rest today. I don't really feel like doing that intense workout, but you know, someone might do it anyway because they have to close the rings. So that's when we look, we just look at (laughs) the behavior. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is a big topic of discussion in my house as well. Really? (laughs) I think a lot of houses. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is there a typical timeline for a person you see that comes to you from the get-go and finally can make it to intuitive eating, or is it totally different depending on the person? Yeah, it's a really good question. We have found uh, our program is four months long, and we found that that four months is typically a good spot for people to really make those shifts that are going to help them for the rest of their lives. So you might leave our, our little nest after four months and still feel like there's some things you want to work on, but you have the tools to, to do that. Now you have the ability to tune into these, you know, these intuitive cues, and there might be things that cause you to stumble in the future. And you might have a negative body image moment, but you know how to handle it. So we found that that, that timeline is works well for a lot of people, but there's just no telling how long it's going to take to truly get in tune with your body and to, to be able to, um, to listen to your body. It really depends honestly on how, how long this battle has been going on before. You know, we have people who are on the younger side who maybe have been struggling with dieting and the rigid rules for a few years, and it's going to be a lot easier for them to break out of that mentality. Someone who's been struggling with food for decades is going to have a little bit tougher time, but that also might not be the case. You know, it's, it's totally individual and we work with people. That's, that's why we work with people individually within our program, but we have found in general that four month timeline is, is pretty good for at least getting to a place where you feel fortified to move forward with this new yeah, mentality. Jump start. Yeah. And that's huge, especially if you spent years and years and years and years right. going through this and four months is just a, a blink. 
Yeah, it's pretty quick. I mean, it's it's certainly not an overnight fix, right? It's not yeah. a not a 30-day thing. Which is what everyone means. wants. Yes, exactly. They want the diet version of your help. Yes, back which to that is, checklist. It goes back yeah. to that checklist. It's it's not great for our marketing, right? I'd love to be able to say we can we can solve your problems in, in 30 days, but we we unfortunately we can't. respect the hell out of that, actually. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, but it is relatively quick in the in the big picture if you've been struggling for a while because because it's amazing how fast the binging can stop and the emotional eating can stop once you truly make peace with food, which for some people can happen pretty quickly. So, um, and that's the first thing that we, that we address is just ending that really painful behavior around food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What have been some great breakthroughs that you've been able to witness in your position as co-founder of wellness lately? There has to be some amazing moments. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it is amazing to just see women have this shift because I get excited thinking about what's possible, not only for women who free up this mind space, but also the next generation, right? We, we look at people who have, who are moms, who are raising young girls who are going to avoid this struggle because their moms did the work to heal their own relationship with food. Right. And so that, that makes me a little emotional just because that's how big of a trigger it is for women though. I mean, yes. that just goes to show it. We all have an emotional pull to it and for very different reasons. You know, yeah. I, I think that that's why it, it's so important to have these conversations mm-hmm. for lack of better terms, but yeah. It's, so tell me, tell me some more things that you've you've seen or that people have had success with? Sure. Yeah. Well, just sort of to, to tack on to that one person I'm thinking of who graduated just this past week, uh, she's on the younger end. She's one of our younger clients and she lives in an area of the country that is very focused on appearance and very caught up in diet culture. And Dallas. You can, <laughs> well, you can probably, a lot of people might guess uh, on which coast, which coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she has really just made amazing progress in working through the body image piece in particular. And she's starting this new job as a teacher and just like thinking about the same thing, right? How many kids might be All affected? Students. Yeah. By, a, by a different mindset. Right. And uh and the other person that comes to mind right away is our marketing director, Kimberly, who I know you've, you've been in conversation with yeah. as well. And she actually went through our program. So she um, was someone who was an expert dieter, right? Really good at, really good at it. Cause a lot of people aren't, a lot of people are just good at the idea of dieting, of thinking about dieting. Totally. Right? But she I'm was not like, one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't either, but she was like really rigid and really, um, a pro dieter and she, but it was really negatively impacting her life. And when she came to us, we worked through the food stuff, which was, it was awesome to see that shift in her, but it was also, I think more importantly, the shift she had around the mind space and energy freed up. She left a career to be a stay-at-home mom, which she loved, but she was realizing in the process that she was spending all of her energy into in sort of goal-oriented thinking and changing her body and really, you know, the exercise and the making all her meals from scratch and all of that, you know, was, she was really, um, doubling down on, on the perfectionism that can come with being a pro dieter. Um, and she realized that she, what she was really missing was the sort of working with people and the achievement mentality and working toward a goal. And she realized in the process that she wanted to go back to work and do something, you know, with all that energy, as opposed to just fixing her body. And so she came to us and started working with us and, and she's working for you now. Yeah. Which is amazing because not only for us as someone, you know, who went through the program, but she's just such an asset to our team and to have that energy go into our mission versus just her fixing her body every day. Right. Is, uh, is an example, I think of the shift that can happen here. Oh, that's so beautiful. Go Kimberly. So great. I did see on your website that you guys offer free breakthrough sessions. What does that entail? Yeah. So we just, uh, you know, this can be 
sometimes I think really new to people, this concept, right? Like this idea of just, uh, of, you know, dropping the diet mentality can be sort of foreign for people. So we offer free breakthrough sessions just to hop on the phone with one of us and to chat about what you're struggling with. And it looks different for everyone, right? So we, um, we like to just hear where you are and what's going on and what's feeling really challenging and then where you want to be and what you would like to see. And we really talk through a plan to get you in a better place and um, if our, if it's our program that can do that for you, great. We, we share some more info about it, but if not, we do our best to point people in the right direction, but really it's a chance to talk through this with someone, which I think a lot of us just don't talk about this struggle, right? A lot of us don't have people. It's so personal. Mm -hmm. We don't have other people in our life who are going through the same thing. So we offer that call to be able to chat with one of us. (laughs) Right, right. exactly. Yes, (laughs) yes, you're exactly right. So so we offer that for people who are kind of intrigued about all of this, but just aren't really sure, you know, where to go from here. We can, they can chat with one of our coaches. That's so cool. That's great that you guys offer that. Yeah. straight off the bat, especially for free. It's different than sort of like signing up for something that you have no idea what you're getting into. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, with the coaching relationship, it's a two-way street. We, we really like to be sure that this is a good fit for people versus just saying like, sign up for this and, you know, see what happens. We like to really explain what intuitive eating is and, you know, how it can work for people. Cause it might not work for everyone, right. Someone who really isn't ready to give up the struggle with food or who isn't really ready for something different and giving up the diet mentality. That's, you know, our program's not for you and that's okay, but we're here to kind of explain what that might look like if you're a little unsure about it. Yeah. Yeah, Options. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you guys do, especially with the, the care and, and consideration that you put into it. I know as a young girl, I would have absolutely benefited from what you guys have to offer. And I think the message that you spread is so healthy and also so needed. So just thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That, that means a lot to me and it's something that we put our whole heart into. So thank you. But we, we do truly believe that women are, you know, more than their appearance and and more than their bodies. And uh, we can work through this and we can end the struggle with food so that we can all spend our brain space doing things that feel better and, and make a difference in the world. Yeah. I can't do enough pre-chance. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> it's so good. You <laughs> talked a little bit about your mission and, and your goals and, and how you want to have generational impact. What are some other things that you're really excited about with wellness lately or that you're working on or things that are coming? Anything you want to plug? Well, right now we are taking a little break from our podcast, a little summer vacation for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back. We've been there. Yes. As you <laughs> know, are very necessary. They <laughs> sure are. Yes. You need the creative revival every now and then. So totally. we'll be back with new episodes starting in September. So that's always uh, an exciting thing with, that we love doing because it gives us an opportunity to talk to people who might be at different points along this journey with food, right? Maybe you're not ready for coaching. Maybe you're never going to want coaching, but you can pop the earbud in and just get some of this info anytime. And, uh, and then we also interview people on the show as well in this industry who are really working to shift our cultural narratives around food and body image. Gosh, awesome. Keep it up. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you so much for having me. Come back anytime. We'll be watching and giving everybody all the information to find you. I think this is going to be wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was great to chat with both of you. I appreciate you having me. Of course. Anytime. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, Bridget. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HDC community. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Convo. For information on all of our shows, guests, and more, visit htcpod.com. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon.